You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. Last weekend, as I began to introduce the message, you would have heard me ask the question several times, why can't people just get along? Why can't people just get along? And so we began a search for the answer, and we thought that rather than discussing and going through our own thoughts and opinions and discussions, that instead uh, we would look straight to Scripture. So we went to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. James gives us the answer to that question. Um, And he's very direct in the answer that he gives. I think we would like to look to Scripture and find something that says when you're fighting, feuding, quarreling with someone else, you get to point the finger at someone else. It's their fault. But James does the exact opposite. Instead, he says, you got to look inside. He said the reason these feuds, these fights, these quarrels are going on in your relationships is because of the selfish, conflicting passions that are going on inside of you. And to that, we all said, ouch. That hurt. It might be true, but that that hurts. And so we didn't want to just linger with uh, the the answer, but let's let's find a solution to the problem. And so we went to Philippians chapter 2 as we began to discuss the life that God applauds. And as we did that, we looked at what Paul writes to the Philippian believers uh, as he uh, encourages them with some, uh, or presents them, challenges them with some... um, uh, key spiritual principles that are necessary if we're going to navigate through relationships in a spiritually healthy way. And so what we learn from Paul as we work through the passage of verses uh, 1 through 11, I believe, in chapter 2, is that the first thing that Paul uh, caused us to understand is that our relationship with Jesus must affect our relationship with others. What does that mean? Well, it means that in light of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And if you think about the fact, consider the fact that we were separated, we were alienated from God, we were estranged from Him, uh, we were lost in our own sin, yet God in His grace and mercy gave His Son Jesus Christ, causing us to have forgiveness of our sin and being reconciled to Him. When we think of that, it has to affect the way we think of our other relationships, of all of our relationships, because in the challenges of relationships, we need to be uh, uh, people who act the same way. We need to be willing to forgive the way that he's forgiven. Uh, Paul helped us to understand that um, self-ambition should not direct our, uh, our attitude toward other people. In other words, we don't, we're not in it for us, but we're, we're, we're serving others. He helped us to understand that humility uh, must um, define our opinion of ourselves and our attitudes towards others. And finally, he helped us to understand that we have to think of relationships in the way that Jesus thought of relationships. Uh, Jesus was sacrificial. He was a servant. He gave himself. And Paul helped us to understand that in our relationships, we must think the same way. So this morning, uh, we're going to continue on in Philippians chapter 2, talking about the life that God applauds. But rather than focusing on relationships this morning, uh, we want to look at the passage and and, and gain some other um, uh, key, necessary uh, spiritual principles of life and behavior that we as Christ followers must own. And so let me just tell you a little bit about what we're doing. Um, in your teaching notes, which you could go ahead and take out, uh, in your teaching notes, um, it, those teaching notes actually focus on the last portion of Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. 
this week while I was studying, I realized that I wanted to expand it beyond that. I want to pick up some things that are happening in the verses before that because I think that they're necessary for us to make sure we own as part of our behavior, our conduct, our character as Christ followers. So I'm telling you, say, you will engage with your teaching notes at some point, and I'll let you know when, but just hold on to them for now. It'll be a little bit more towards the end. Also, if you want to go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2, then you'll be ready as we uh, begin to walk through the passage. Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll move on. Father God, um, thank you. We just, we're just, we're going to slow down a minute and just say thank you. You're a great, great God. You're a good, good father. You're always running after us. You're pursuing us. We just want to say thank you for that. I pray that we never take it for granted. I thank you that when we come together, we know that your spirit, your Holy Spirit is right here in our midst. And so we draw from the power of the Holy Spirit today as we look to the Word, and we ask that uh, through your Word and, 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 and by the power of your Holy Spirit that there be a transformative work deep inside of us that's causing us to um, change and become more like you. And Lord, I, I know I pray this every week, but I pray that because we're becoming like you that we would leave this place differently than when we became. And so we pray this as we surrender ourselves to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Uh, Well, let me begin with a quick question. How many of you in the room have some kind of consistent workout plan, some kind of consistent exercise plan? Raise your hand if you have a consistent workout plan. Yeah. Raise them up high. That way the others who don't can go bad. (laughs) Uh, Let me ask, um, what does your your workout plan consist of? How many of you have a gym membership and you actually go to the gym on a consistent basis? Raise your hand if you have a gym membership and you go. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you are runners? Your exercise, you, you run, so there's several runners. How many of you are avid walkers? You, you, yeah, so it's pretty well represented. Anything that I missed that you would say, this is my workout plan? That you're not, what did you say? I, yeah, <laughs> that seems to be mine too. Um, well, this morning, uh, as we begin to look at, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, as we look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we see that Paul prescribes a workout plan uh, for followers of Christ, for Christ followers that's not only beneficial. We, we all know that exercise working out is, is beneficial to our health, right? I mean, that's, that's a given. So Paul prescribes a, a workout plan that's not only beneficial, but it's necessary for our spiritual health, our spiritual growth, and our spiritual transformation. So I want to I read to you verses 12 and 13, and then uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, In chapter 2 of Philippians, beginning in verse 12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Did you hear the words work out in there? Did you, did you hear the word work out? Yeah? Okay. It, it, it was definitely there. Um, I want to talk about it, but before I do, I want to read it from another translation, the New Living Translation, just to give us some additional insight. In the New Living Translation, it says, Dear friends, 
You always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So here's Paul's prescription for a spiritual workout. He says, work out, work it out, work it out. He he says, "Um, everything that you are learning, everything that you know, Everything that you are understanding about who God is, who Jesus is, everything you're understanding about your identity in Christ, that your life is hidden away within Christ, that everything, all of those things, that you would allow those things to be deep inside of you. And that you would surrender yourselves, that we would surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit in such a way that there would be this deep transformative work of the Holy Spirit going on inside of us, uh, bringing to light, changing us on the inside because of what we know about God, what we know about Jesus, what we're understanding about our identity in Christ, that all of those things working within us would work in us in such a way that they begin to fill us. And that they fill us in such a way that they overflow us. And because they overflow us, they are demonstrated by how we live our lives. By our conduct. By our behavior. Now, it's interesting or it's it's important that we understand. Paul is not saying work for your salvation. He's saying you have salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, let that work itself in you. Let that spiritual truth, let that spiritual reality that you are a new creation, let it work itself in you again so that it works itself to the outside in the way you live your life. And then Paul gives us the how and the why. He says, you can do this because it's God in you who is at work. In other words, we're not having to do it through our own power, our own strength, but it's God inside of us. And that's how the work is accomplished. So the message that Paul is getting across is that the power that compels us comes from the spirit that indwells us. Let me say that again. The power that compels us comes from the spirit that indwells us. So the life that God applauds is the life who is surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit deep inside And allows that surrender and that work to happen in such a way that it affects how we live our lives. And we're going to see why that's so important in just just a moment. And then we move on to verse 14. And when I look at verse 14, I just kind of think, Paul, you're getting all up in my business right now. I don't like what you're saying. Uh, You you hit, you you go right to the chase and and you hit where it hurts. So uh, listen to verse 14. He says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Just to make sure that we know what he's saying. I want to read it to you in a few other translations. Um, In the Amplified Translation, it says, Do all things without grumbling and fault-finding and complaining against God and and questioning and doubting among yourselves. In the New Living Translation, it says, In everything you do, stay away from complaining. In arguing. In the Phillips translation, it says, Do all you have to do without grumbling or arguing. In the message, it says, um, Do everything readily and cheerfully, no bickering, no second guessing allowed. Uh, in um, uh, the NLV, and this one really kind of hits home, he says, Be glad, 
you can do the things you should be doing. Do all things without arguing and talking about how you wish you did not have to do them. I'm just going to read that one more time. Because that's the one, it just kind of hits home, right? Be glad you can do all the things you should be doing. Do all things without arguing and talking about how you wish you did not have to do them. How often does that happen to us? Why do I have to do this? Bicker, argue, complain, grumble, grumble, grumble. So, okay, we get Paul's message, right? He's saying you need to cut back on your grumbling and your complaining and your bickering and your arguing. You need to cut back on that. Is that, is that what he's saying? No, it's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying at all. I think it's real easy for us to catch the words uh, without grumbling and arguing or without grumbling and complaining, but it's kind of easy for us to skip over the part that says do everything without grumbling or complaining. Do, do everything without grumbling and complaining. I want you to think back just to this past week. Think about your conversations that gone, have gone on in your mind or with other people in the workplace, at home, at school, wherever it might be. How many of those conversations were filled with grumbling and complaining about what you were having to do or why you were having to do it? How many of those conversations were filled with complaints and arguments, uh, questioning, why, 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 why why do we have to do this? This doesn't seem right to me. This doesn't seem fair, maybe so. Um, for all of you who can say, I was pretty successful, not, not so much this week. I want to say congratulations. And for all the rest of us, would you like to join me in a support group called Grumblers and Complainers Anonymous? Because I can, I, I'm going to confess to you, I don't do very well at meeting this standard of life. I try, but there are times where I look back and I think back to a conversation. It's like, why why did I allow myself to speak that way? Why did I engage? Because I was only grumbling and, and, and complaining. So why would Paul, why would Paul lead us to live a life without grumbling and complaining? Well, let's look at uh, verses 15 and a portion of verse 16. So I'm going to read 14 again so it all makes, connects together. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And then in verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Um, He's saying, live your life without grumbling and complaining so that you can become pure and blameless because you live in a warped and sin-sick world. Uh, Listen to that uh, in the New Living Version. It says, Uh, do all things without grumbling and complaining. In that way, you can uh, prove yourselves to be without blame. You are God's children, and no one can talk against you in a sin-loving and sin-sick world. You are to shine as lights among the sinful people of the world. So how do we break this down? How do we apply this to everyday life? Um, I believe, at least for me personally, when... um, I make the choice to live with grumbling and complaining that there's something off inside of me. In other words, when I, when I find myself living with grumbling and complaining, I believe I've allowed some poison to get inside of me. 
And that poison has affected my mindset. It affects the way I think. It becomes my filter for how I view life. And if I'm not careful, and this applies to all of us, if we're not careful, that poison can cause our thinking to become um, septic. It, It can cause our thinking to become cynical. And I want to talk about cynicism for just just a brief moment. Um, I recently finished reading uh, a book by Carrie Newhoff. It's called Didn't See It Coming. And in the um, opening chapter of his book, he discusses how cynicism can creep in and snuff out our hope. Um, uh, uh, I want you to listen to some of the comments, some of the thoughts that he presents on cynicism. He refers to cynicism as a gnawing negativity. He says, cynicism isn't just something other people experience. It's something you sense growing inside of you. He says, cynicism begins not because you don't care, but because you do care. It starts because you poured your heart into something and got little in return. Or maybe you got something in return, but it was the opposite of what you expected, what you anticipated. He says, cynics aren't born, they're made. Life doesn't make you a cynic. You make you a cynic. And finally, cynicism is not always a conscious decision. However, it is a decision. It's the decision you make to stop hoping, stop trusting, and stop believing. In other words, when we allow this gnawing negativity to capture who we are, to capture our mind, it becomes our filter. We become septic. We become cynical. And as a result, the hope that we have in us is snuffed out. We can't see the hope because we're so, our, our thinking is so negative. We become so cynical. And so we hide the light of Jesus uh, that's in us. Grumbling and complaining over time leads to this negative, gnawing negativity called cynicism. And cynicism snuffs out our hope. So Paul's message is this. Live without grumbling and complaining So that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the hope of the world, can live in you and shine through you to the world around you. Now, if that's true, then the opposite has to be true. If we live with grumbling and complaining, if we live with this gnawing negativity, if we live with this um, cynicism, then what happens is uh, the light of Jesus, we, somehow we choose to darken that light. And uh, the light of Jesus, Jesus, the light of the world, the hope of the world is unable because of our choice to live with negativism, is unable to shine out to the world around us. So we have to ask, what is the message that we're conveying. If you remember in uh, Philippians chapter 1 last week, we, we looked at verse one, verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 27 and Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is telling us is that living with uh, grumbling, grumbling and complaining is not in alignment with the, the message, the gospel uh, 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 of Jesus Christ. So here again, the life that God applauds is the life that lives without grumbling and complaining. And that's a tall order, isn't it? 
it's just really something that we have to work on. Here's what I love about Scripture. Scripture is so practical. It tells us the way we are to live our life, and then we have to make a choice. Are we going to, are we going to live according to what we're hearing in Scripture? Well, uh, now you can take out your teaching notes. Uh, in the last few minutes, we want to look at the last portion of Philippians chapter 2, and we'll hear, it's here that we'll see that the life that God applauds it's the life of faithfulness. So I want to read to you uh, verses um, 19 through 30. Paul writes and he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. And then in verse 25, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So what we see in these verses, verses 19 through 30, it's two men who are examples of faithfulness. I guess you could say they're case studies in faithfulness. And so um, let me give you a quick bio on Timothy. Um, Timothy uh, was from the city of Lystra, which is modern day, in modern-day Turkey. Um, he came from a, a, a multicultural family. His father was Greek. Uh, his mother and his grandmother were Jewish Christians. Um, Paul led uh, Timothy into a relationship with Jesus Christ at a very early age. And he took him under his wing and he began to disciple him. He began to mentor him as a father to a son. And as a result of that mentoring, that discipleship, uh, Timothy became a, a great help in Paul's ministry, because of his multicultural background, he became a help to uh, Paul in his ministry to the Gentiles. Um, here's how Paul describes Timothy's faithful character. He said, um, I have no one else like him. He will genuinely care for your welfare. He's not selfish. He will actually care for your needs before he'll care for his own. Um, he's proved himself uh, as a son with a father. He served well with me in the work of the gospel. So it's as if Paul is writing a, re a letter of commendation, a, 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 a resume if, if, uh, or a, a, a reference letter attached to his resume. And if you were to look at the bottom of that uh, reference letter, you would see the words just summarizing Timothy, he is faithful or he is a faithful man of God. He is faithful. He's a faithful man of God. And then there's Epaphroditus. Who is he? Well, this is the only place that Epaphroditus is found in Scripture. I want you to listen to what David Jeremiah writes about Epaphroditus. 
He said, apart from these verses, he would be an unknown. But in many respects, this fits him anyway. He was just a layman in the church of Philippi who held no office, wrote no books, gave no sermons, led no enterprises for God. He was a messenger boy for the gospel, a servant for his Lord. No task were too menial for him to do. No task was too little for him to accept. No risk was too great for him to take. He would have been comfortable with a towel and a basin. Um, here's the backstory on Epaphroditus. Uh, the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus to, um, uh, to Paul to help take care of his needs. They saw Paul as this famous apostle and they, they wanted to help him out. He, was, he got sick before he arrived. And so uh, when he arrived, he almost died. And in fact, he had to go home much sooner than he anticipated. It's possible It's speculation, but it's possible that the Philippian church were just a little embarrassed that they had sent Epaphroditus and it didn't work out like they had planned. Uh, Maybe they thought, uh, did we send the right person? Was Epaphroditus the right person to send? And so the thought is that Paul, knowing this could be the case, wrote this letter of commendation to Epaphroditus. And what he said in this letter of commendation is, he served with me well. Because he was here, I had, um, I had less anxiety. Uh, this, this man, he, he, he deserves, a, he's coming home to you. I'm going to send him home. But he deserves a hero's welcome because of the way that he served. He served so well. So again, if this were a reference letter attached to a resume, it would say, Epaphroditus is faithful. He is a faithful man of God. Um, This is what we know both both about Epaphroditus and Timothy. Listen, they were effective because they were faithful in their service. They were applauded because they were faithful in their service. And they were used by God because they were faithful in their service. What What does it mean? To be faithful. Think about that. What, is, what does it mean to be faithful? Well, some of the synonyms would be devoted, loyal, true, steadfast, committed. This week, I just put a question out on social media and I said, what does it mean to you to be faithful? I'd love to hear your responses. And many of the responses used words like this, but there was one that came back that, that caught my attention because I think it's much like Epaphroditus. Uh, this person said, uh, faithfulness is staying the course and being steady in your loyalty, even when the waters are rough and rocking your boat. Even when the waters are rough. And so Epaphroditus was sick. He almost died. But he remained faithful. He remained loyal. What's God looking for? Let me tell you three things. God's looking for faithfulness because faithfulness positions us for effectiveness. And we know that God rewards faithfulness. He rewards faithfulness. So what does this mean for all of us? Well, we should make faithfulness a priority in our lives. And we should applaud faithfulness in the life of others. And we should live with the same mindset as Epaphroditus. No assignment is insignificant in God's eyes. The life that God applauds is the life of faithfulness. So now, Having worked through Philippians chapter 2, and particularly this portion today, the life that God applauds, have you identified anything that you need to work on? Is there anything that you've heard that you need to work on? How, How are you doing with grumbling and complaining in your life? 
If someone were to write a reference letter about you, would that reference letter say he or she is is faithful? Are you living, are we living, I include myself in this, are we living the life that God applauds? If we allow right now the Holy Spirit to to speak to us, what would the Holy Spirit shine a light on and say, I love you, but here's, here's, here's part of your salvation you need to work out. Uh, there's some surrender that you, you need to do so that I can do that deep transformative work inside of you so that you can be light in a dark and sin-sick world. So that what's happening by my spirit on the inside is truly transforming and working itself to the outside so that people around you see the light of Jesus. It's just obvious there's something different about our lives. I can't tell you what that is. I can only look inside myself and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. But I encourage you to do the same. What, what might it be? And then would you be willing to offer that? Offer that up to God and say, God, this is an area where I, I need work. Um, I understand that this is what you're looking for. And then just begin to walk in what he's telling you. Walk in obedience. Allow the Holy Spirit to change your life. Remember, uh, it's... Uh, the power that compels us comes from the spirit that indwells us. That's where our power is. We can't do it in ourselves. Would you stand? Father, thank you for your word, for the power of your word, for the truth of your word, even when it hurts. We know that's part of the transformation. And so today we say we are a people surrender to you. We surrender to the transformation that you want to do inside of us, the work of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that as we surrender, we begin to experience it deep inside and just that it would continue to work itself to the outside. Uh, We want to honor you in all we do. We want to honor you in the life that we live. We want the world around us to see who you are, to see that you are the hope of the world. And so we commit ourselves to you today. And we, we, we say thank you for the work that you're doing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.